we're going to pray. And uh, if you're able, I would love you to stand. So let's stand and pray. Father, we recognize that we may be standing in a hotel, but we're actually standing before the living God. That your presence is here. That you are among us. Your desire more than anything else is to speak right into our situation. You're alive. You have the power to change lives. So I give you this moment. I give you permission to speak right into my situation so that things will be different, so that your kingdom will come and your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. And just before you sit down, turn to the guy next to you and say, I'm really glad you're sitting next to me today. Okay, Uh, thank you so much for the invitation. Um, I have a particular link uh, with CVM. Um, When it was kind of reinvented in the UK, Carl Beach had just kind of taken that off, and uh, I mentored, coached him in some of the things that he could do. It was a privilege to do that. And then have been very involved in the link here with Northern Ireland, and it's just great to see so many blokes in a hotel room wanting to hear the word of the Lord for them at this time. Um, what I do is I work for an organization for, called Hope, which is basically trying to get the church to work together. For goodness sake, we've got to find a way to work together. When we had that great church initiative, you didn't hear any denominations until he slipped off his piece and said it. But there's no denomination. There is one church, one body, one Christ, one baptism. There are not multi-churches. When God looks over a city, he doesn't see the Baptist or the Presbyterian or the Elim. He sees his church. And we've got to recognize that. And when we recognize that, according to John 17, verse 21, Jesus says... When those that can come together and unite for the purpose of mission, the only purpose that that happens is so that those that don't believe will believe. It's very confusing for a non-Christian when they see all these churches and they say, well, you know, you're next to the Baptist, you're next to the Methodist, you're next to the Presbyterian. And they're all on the same street. And they say, you're all part of the same family. Oh, no, we're not. No, they do it their way. We do it God's way. (laughs) Listen, governance of the church for the local church is down to the local church. But we can unite around the gospel. 
And let's unite around the gospel for the sake of our community. You may think the government will change this nation. They will not. The only hope for this nation is the church of Jesus Christ. That's the only hope. Hey, I'm not meant to preach this, but I just wanted to follow up, Phil, just to say that's fantastic. Um, I have a big link with Northern Ireland, a massive link with Northern Ireland. Northern Ireland changed my life. Yeah, I thought you might like that. Because I looked around England for a decent woman. And I couldn't find one until I came to Ballanderry. When I got there, they said, do you want to be in lower or upper? I'm like, one step, you're in upper. Anyway, but we won't go there. My wife came over to study at Moorlands. And uh, she was from Ballanderry. And she's been absolutely amazing. And that's my link with Northern Ireland. And uh, I love Northern Ireland. I love her more. Um, but uh, it's true when you get married, you don't have a clue what you're doing. I'm married into a family where she's one of 11 children. I mean, what is it with you guys over here? <laughs> you must have really bad television or something. But the reason for that is she was on a farm, and on a farm in an agrarian society, it paid to have a lot of children, because they all had to work the farm. She had to work the farm before when she went to school, and then when she came home, she had to work the farm when she got home. Whether she was male or female, it didn't matter, you all worked the farm. That's the way it was. Equality in that family was there. She's tried to introduce that into our marriage, but that's not the case. Anyway, so... <laughs> I just want to recommend one book to you. I thought I could get it here for you today, but unfortunately, it's been a bit of a mess uh, going forward. One of the things that I'm longing to do is, and I'm going to give you guys an opportunity to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Unashamedly, at the end of this talk, I'm going to ask you to surrender. And I don't care where you've come from up till now, but I'm going to invite you to do that. So you need to be warned that that's going to happen. And I'm going to encourage you to be a man and to become a servant of the living God, which is the highest destiny for any man. It's not weakness. Weakness is what we call men that run away from God. A real man faces up to the God who created him and surrenders his life to him. So if you've never done that, this is your moment this morning. But one of the things that we've done in Hope is we've brought a whole stack of prison ministries together and this is what I love to do. I constantly find ways. I bring denominational leaders together. Because I am longing for the church to truly be the church in its community, which means that we have to find a way to work together. And we produced this book. Uh, it's called 40 Stories of Hope. And it's basically stories of prisoners who have come to faith in Jesus Christ. We launched it at Pentonville Prison in London. And the governor of Prentonville Prison got up as we launched this. And we had every denominational leader there. And uh, he said, this prison is hopeless. We need hope. 
And that's a gospel word. That's our word. We should be people of hope. And so we got 40 stories. And we put them in here. And then we link with churches together in Britain and Ireland. And they're going to make this next year their Lent course. And we've actually distributed 15,000 copies of this book into prison. Free. And you can order one of these books for $7.99. Every time you order one, one goes into prison for a prisoner. But let me just give you one of the stories before we turn to the Word of God. And this is just one of the stories. 20 years ago, I was living in Gibraltar. My mother had recently died, and I was grieving. I'm an only child. I never knew my dad. All 40 stories in here, there was no father. Explains a lot, doesn't it? I never knew my dad. I was approached to carry a suitcase from Thailand, despite knowing that if I got caught, I could probably be executed. I went, took the case, and was arrested at the airport. The authorities had been tipped off before I even got there. I was given a death sentence, which in Thailand equates to 200 years in prison. I had a five-kilo set of chains hammered to my ankles, had my hair and eyebrows shaved off, I was led to spend the rest of my life in Bang Quang Maximum Security Prison, which is known as the Bangkok Hilton. I shared a cell with 40 other chained prisoners for 18 hours a day with one hole in the floor for a toilet. I was 27. If you want to know the end of the story, you've got to read the book. What I want to talk to you about today is I want you to understand what this gospel is all about as a man. I want you to understand the impact that this gospel has. I want you to understand that this is not just joining something new. You see, the great thing about the gospel is it isn't here to make you a better person. It isn't here to make you a better husband. It isn't here to make you a better father. It's here to make dead people live. Now, all those things come as a result of it, but that is not the goal. And so what I want to talk to you about is how this gospel can transform your life. And if you never engage that transformation, then I want you to do that today. You see, just a brief background to me. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. I had no church background. I was never nurtured in the faith. If you want to sum it up, I was salvaged, not nurtured. I got moved in school to sit next to someone who was a Christian as a punishment. And he saw it as his mission in life to convert me. That was the only reason he went to school, I think. And I came up with all sorts of questions. And one of the things that he said to me, he said, the trouble with you, Crowley. Now, my name is Roy Crown. And it does have an E on the end of it. So that you know I'm not a pub. 
but I don't like being called crowny. And when I was at school, my nickname was Arthur. Some of you young people don't have a clue what they're laughing about. We used to have a coin that was an half crown. And he said to me, some of you crownies, you've got no guts. And I'm like, what are you talking about? No guts. He said, because you're not prepared to face up to the claims of Jesus Christ. He said, do you think gentle Jesus, meek and wild, loves every little child? He said, it's just not true. It takes guts to follow Jesus. The easy thing to do is hate. Anyone can do it. It takes more to forgive. The easy thing is to get better. It takes more to give away that bitterness. If you want to really be a man, then you've got to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. I hadn't heard a gospel like that. So then he got me to go on a camp in the summer. I was 16. He lied to me. He said it would be fun. (laughs) We use words sometimes, but the definition is completely different. His idea of fun and my idea of fun were completely different. That's why at nine o'clock when we were sleeping in this bell tent, a man came into our tent and said, right boys, it's time for bed. I'm like, I'm 16. It's nine o'clock. What planet are you on? And he stood there in shorts, which made it worse. And it got worse. He had open sandals and no hair. My son said to me recently, Dad, I was going out to speak somewhere. He said to me recently, Dad, look at you. I went, what do you mean? He says, you're bald. I said, I know. Do you think I like looking like a deodorant stick? But I have no choice. He said, but you could do something about your shirt and your trousers. I said, my trousers are all right, and I think my shirt's all right. Anyway, he said, Dad, have a good time. I'm really ready to go now. Oh, thanks. I'm really pumped, son. But just as I got to the door, I thought, oh, no, I can't let this go. So I turned back to him. I said, Michael, by the way, baldness is hereditary. I became a Christian at that camp, and it was the scariest moment of my life. See, I'm from the east end of London. And I said to God, if you're real, and you can meet one individual, and you can totally change my life, I'll give myself to this. Because that was the east end London boy. That's what we did. So a Wednesday night, When a preacher called people to come forward, I didn't go forward. I went out into this field. And for the first time ever, I knelt down. And I said to God, I don't even know who you are. But that guy says, you know me. And that guy says that you'd laid down your life for me. I'm not even sure I've done too much wrong. But if you can change my life, 
go ahead. That was in essence it. And I tell you then, according to Hebrews, you discover it's a scary thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I experienced something. I wept. I saw things. It just blew me away. And I'm like, whoa, this is real. So the next morning, I didn't sleep a lot that night. The next morning, I went to the padre. That was what they called him on this camp. I don't know where that word came from, but hey, they called it a padre. When I saw him, I said, listen, you gave that message last night. Let me tell you what happened. I saw this, did that, experienced that. It's amazing. And he looked at me and said, that's not normal. <laughs> I'm like, what? That doesn't normally happen. And he said, did you say the prayer? I said, what prayer? God's touched my life. Get real. And... Uh, then I went back to the school that I was in. But before I did that, I read the Bible. I'm still a paper Bible. How many people are paper? How many people technology? The rest of you, what do you do? <laughs> Within two weeks, I read the whole book. You see, we, sit, we think people are converted and then we chase them about follow-up. Now, if you've encountered the living God, you will be hungry for his word. If you've encountered his spirit, you will be hungry to share. I think some people have said a prayer, but they're nowhere near an encounter with Jesus. They've never surrendered their life. They've said some prayer because somebody said, say this prayer. It's almost counterfeit conversion. And what it does is it inoculates you just enough to not get the real thing. When I was traveling, I had to go to a particular area of the world, and I went and saw the nurse to go on this particular trip, because I, I had to have four injections to go there. And uh, I'm sitting in the nurse, and, and I hate needles. I mean, I just hate needles. I just, oh. So she said, you need four injections for where you're going. So there were going to be two in my arms and two somewhere else. And uh, so there I am. And it was funny when she went to somewhere else. She said, relax. <laughs> I'm like, I think I am. <laughs> I couldn't believe she did. Nurses allowed to do this. She hit it. <laughs> my buttock. And, and anyway, too much information. <laughs> She put one in my arm. And I said, just tell me the one you put in my arm. She said, well, I've given you smallpox. I said, what do you mean you give me smallpox? She said, I've given you something like the real thing to stop you from getting the real thing. I've inoculated you just enough so that you won't have this disease that will kill you. Some of us have never seen a change in our life, but we've said a prayer. And I want you to know that if you were to say that to the first disciples, they wouldn't have a clue what you were talking about. Because you see, in the New Testament, 14 times we get the word Savior. 742 times we get the word Lord. You cannot have him as Savior, and then optionally, later, Lord. That's rubbish. 
What do you mean? He's Saviour and Lord. So that's what I'm going to talk to you about. And let's start at the book of Genesis. Uh, Genesis chapter 3. We're going to start right at the beginning. And you know the story. There's a cosmic creation. There's a localized creation. And then there's this little encounter in Genesis 3. Where Adam and Eve are in the garden. It's really interesting. You follow gardens in the Old and New Testament. There are three significant gardens. And walking in the garden in the cool of the day is amazing. And they're walking in the garden. There's another garden in Revelation. There's another garden in Gethsemane. Very interesting study on gardens. I think God likes gardens. I was doing a school lesson. I used to work with Youth for Christ. And I was doing a school lesson. And uh, one lad, it, it wasn't the most academic school lesson. And one lad had the Bible out. Because he said, it's RE, sir, isn't it? I said, yeah, it's RE. He said, uh, I'm reading the Bible because it's RE, sir. I said, what part are you reading? He said, what do you mean, sir? Well, it's made up of 66 parts. It's it books, Old Testament, New Testament. Oh, he says, so I'm reading the front part. I said, well, what book are you reading at the top of the page? He says, oh, sir. Oh, it's so amazing. It's the book of Genesis, sir. <laughs> I didn't know Guinness was in the Bible, sir. What chapter are you reading? Oh, I'm reading Genesis chapter 3. Oh. He said, but I've got a question, sir. He says, what's the question? He says, Adam and Eve were in the garden. He says, sir, was that the front garden or the back garden? <laughs> I said, it was just a garden. No, no, sir, because you do stuff in a back garden you wouldn't do in a front garden. <laughs> and, sir, they should have been in the back garden. <laughs> and God walks in the garden in the same way he walks in our world. And he asks a profound question. Where are you? Where are you with me? See, it's really interesting. Because of what they did, there was a broken relationship with God. It's really interesting because there was also a broken relationship with self. That's why they did fig leaves. Self-image was messed up. Broken relationship with God, broken relationship with self, and then a broken relationship between each other. And then there was a broken relationship with creation. So one choice got four brokens. So God walks into the garden. He says, where are you? Where are you? It's the same question God asked you this morning. Where are you? Are you playing at this? Are you doing the church thing? Are you socialized because they're good guys? Where are you? Is it, is it one of many options and I'll just keep all my options open? I won't commit to one thing. Because the scariest thing, as choice increases, let me tell you what happens. Your ability to decide decreases. Because your biggest fear is what if you chose the wrong thing? 
So what we've got to do is reduce the options. That's why Jesus says you either love me or you don't. You're either in or you're out. It's quite easy. You see, if you were to say to me this morning, Roy, are you married? I wouldn't say to you, more or less. You'd say, what? Are you married? A little bit. What? Are you married? Well, I go to church. What? You're either married or you're not. If I brought my wife in here today, and you ask my wife, are you pregnant? She doesn't say more or less, or a little bit, and please God, I hope she's not. <laughs> you're either in or you're out, and if you're in, your boots are all in. That's why that motley gang of disciples, average age of 14 to 23. Jesus wanted to start a revolution. He started a revolution with a youth group. Because he knew they could change the world. There's nothing against the old guys. But we've got to invest in that new generation. And you know what? We've got to release them. When they come with an idea, don't say, oh, let's not be a dream stealer. Let's tell them, have a go. What do you got to lose? If it all goes wrong, you can say, what a great memory. What have they got to lose? Nothing. So we as adults, we've got to open doors. We've got to be gatekeepers. Because if we're not, no one else will. And we've got to push them out. Don't let money stop you. Don't let all that other stuff, don't, don't let the structures stop you. Have a go. The situation is so desperate. We get stats on the church around the world, but the stats on the church in this country are bad news. And the trajectory is going the wrong way. I was speaking at a Methodist conference of church leaders, and there uh, must have been uh, 200 Methodist ministers in the room. And uh, I'd done a presentation on vision and ideas. <laughs> One Methodist church leader said, ah, we've got a pot of resources. I said, how much is that? 600 million. I said, whoa. He said, yeah, but it's for a rainy day. I said, it's raining. <laughs> it's raining. So where are you? Is this real? Are you running and you're trying to hide? Well, you're not going to hide this morning. See, Psalm 139 is a great verse. Verse is, it says, you know when I sit down, you know when I stand up. Where can I go from your presence? Where can I run to? And Jesus says, you can't. You can't run from my presence. I'm everywhere. So I'm going to get you. You may run for a while, but stop running. And what I want you to do is I want you to bow the knee. Because the reality is you will bow the knee one day. Either forced or chosen. According to Philippians, we will all bow the knee one day. But I want you to choose to bow the knee now. I want you to choose. 
And I want you to understand that Jesus' invitation to you this morning is come. Come all you weary. Come you that are broken. Come you that are messed up. Come. Come you that are uneducated. Come you that are totally educated. Come. Because the Apostle Paul was totally educated. He went to the top school. Under Gamaliel, he was coached by the best. He went to the Cambridge of his day. He was a top academic. And we need to find the best as well as the poorest. Because the best can have influence in the way the poorest can't have influence. But we've got to have a heart for the poor. Of course we have. But let's not ignore that other group. That's why the great thing about CVM is every man everywhere. We've got to go for the lot. We've got to go for the lot. And I want you to understand that when Paul was converted, I mean, he has given us a challenge. I've done theology. I continue to study. Some of his Greek is a challenge. But he was a true blue Jew. He was amazing. And what he did and how he impacted was phenomenal. But when you talk to Paul, you understand that Paul surrendered his life. He actually said, I'm a slave. I'm a bond slave. And whether I live or whether I die, for me to live is Christ. That's surrender. That's like, I quit fighting. You're king, I'm not. You reign, I don't. Me and you together, this can happen and transform lives. So what does it mean to surrender your life to God? Well, Lee's story, in the book, he surrendered his life to God. But what does it really mean to surrender your life to God? Well, there's a few hooks, and I'm going to give you a few of them. The first is John 9, verse 5. When you surrender your life to God, you need to understand that he's the light of the world. What that means is, his light exposes your darkness. His light penetrates where there is darkness in your life. We talked about freedom, but actually freedom, we are pretty good guys at covering up. But when you allow the gospel and the light of the gospel, the light comes on into dark places. And when the light of the world comes into your life, it does expose the darkness. But that's good news. That is not to condemn it. That is not to destroy it. That is to expose it so that it has no power over you anymore. That's the only reason. So actually, it's good news. The second thing in Matthew 1 verse 21 is he's come to free us from our sins. He's the savior of the world that has come to free us from our sins. Sins is a problem. We've got a problem with that word. Stories told of this guy that was in a community. And while he was in the community, he and his brother were known to be evil guys. They were violent. They were adulterous. They did the most evil thing you could think of. One of the brothers died. And so the other brother said, we need to hold a funeral, but we need it in the church. 
And he went round every one of these ministers and said, would you please hold the funeral of my brother? And every one of them knew what his brother was like. And the reason they all said no is he said, could you please say that my brother was a saint? And they're like, there's no way. Until he found one sharp guy, probably like Phil, who said, yeah, I think I could do that. And the time of the funeral came. They wheeled the coffin in for people that would never normally be in church. And the minister got up and he started a eulogy. He said, the man laying before you was a liar, was an adulterer, was a murderer. He did every kind of evil act you can think of. Yet compared to his brother, he was a saint. You know, the reason we don't think we're bad is we compare ourselves to the wrong person. That's our problem. See, I'm not as bad as the guy down the road who's a pedophile. I'm not as bad as the guy who walked out on his wife. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not like that. No, that's the wrong criteria. Jesus is perfect. And against perfection, we all miss the mark. So is all Jesus says is just admit it. I can't forgive you of excuses, but I can forgive you of sin. So just admit it. Just kind of understand that that is what I've come to do. You see, when men run from God, I find this fascinating. I'm going to give you two stories. When men run from God, they become more selfish they become more and more unreal and they do more and more stupid things. It's a trajectory. That's what men do. Because the highest destiny for any man is to become a servant of the living God. Not the lowest, the highest. I'm scared for the church because I speak in a lot of churches where there seems to be more women than men. And I wonder what's going on. And part of what I think's going on is we're not preaching a gutsy enough gospel. I want to recruit you. And I want everything. I want your money. I want your time. I want your marriage. I want your family. I want your work. I want the lot. Now we can make a difference. And I'll give you all those things back. But this time they're mine. So if you start getting messy with them again, just remember they're gifts. It's the grace of God. And if he chooses to give you success, be careful. If he chooses to give you favor, be careful. If he chooses to give you wealth, be careful. Because all of those things have tripped so many guys up. And they started well, but they didn't finish well. Because as far as I can see in this gospel, that's what it is all about. So I'm going to ask you to surrender. 
Because as far as I can see in the New Testament and Scripture, my time has gone. That, for me, is what it will take to change a nation. If you look and go to some of these places in the world, and I've had the privilege of going to some of these places, what they live with, some of the challenges they face, but their commitment to Christ is phenomenal. I'm humbled. And I haven't got it all together. I fail. I drop the ball. I do stuff I wouldn't. I just wish I wouldn't, not done. I find it difficult to love. I find it difficult to sacrifice. I find it difficult because some people that you meet, they just bring out the worst in you. So the only way that I know to do this is I need to know a personal God who's involved in the nitty-gritty of my life. And because he's involved in the nitty-gritty of my life in a personal way, if he wants to give me success over here, he needs to win a few battles in secret over here. So that when I'm successful there, I've seen him work here. And I know what he's like. Because in the end, if you're going to be the father you're going to be, if you're going to be the husband you're going to be, and if you're not a father or a husband, as with Paul, you're single, you can do so much more. And there is no retirement. Where did that come from? Well, these retired blokes here in our church, and they're always going on holiday. I'm like, what are you doing? Oh, we're having a cruise. A cruise again! Yeah, well, the wife wants to go, you liar. And uh... <laughs> Listen, some of the best resource in the church is the retired. And wouldn't you want to live for something that will outlive you? When you want to give yourself to something that will never die. I don't understand it. Somebody said to me yesterday, because I'm 60, when are you going to retire? I said, when I die. They said, you're like the Pope then. <laughs> I said, not totally, because there's two of them. Oh, yeah. Anyway, yeah. Uh, but that's it. And let you, let, let's understand that when the Spirit is poured out, your young men will drink, old men, old men, we're still in there. We've still got a role. Because the greatest joy you can get as an older man is to see others grabbing it, going for it. And we can stand on the sidelines saying, go for it, go for it. So I'm going to recruit you to that. And I'm going to end with this statement. Proverbs 4 verse 23 says to men, guard your heart. Guard your heart. Because it's the fountain of everything. And some of you, your heart has been hurt. Stuff's kicked in. What I see is a lot of people that have been around the church a long time no longer believe. 
they still go through the motions, but they're not believers. And when someone comes forward with faith, they're the ones that say, no, no, no. We've got to be believers. Because the work of God in John 6, verse 28 and 29, is not to build the church. It's not to have an amazing small group ministry or youth ministry or any other. The work of God is this, according to John 6, verse 29, to believe. That's what he said the work of God was. So are you a believer? Because you need to build faith. Build faith in others. Build faith in the next generation. Build faith in your family. Build faith. But you'll only do that if you surrendered. So I'm going to recruit you. What I'm going to do is this. We're all going to stand in just a moment. And I'm going to give you 10 seconds. Because you don't need longer than that. And I'm going to ask you to come and stand at the front. I'm going to ask you, very simply, to say, I surrender. I quit fighting. I'm not running. I'm going to surrender my life. And let me tell you something. You take one step, and Jesus will do everything else. Because that's what he does. I don't know what his spirit will do in your life. But if this is your moment, then don't go from here without owning it. Be a man. Man up. And embrace it. Let's stand. Father, thank you. Thank you for this moment. Thank you that you call me by name in the tone that I love to hear it. You don't condemn me. You invite me. And right now, give me the courage to do what I need to do. May I come with a group. There may be other people around. That doesn't matter. It's between me and you, God. Maybe I've said a prayer back in the day, but it's just not real. And the reason is I've got to surrender. I've got to quit fighting you and let you be Lord and Savior. So Father, right now, I pray that in this gathering, those that you're calling to make this their moment will just move from where they are. If that's you, just come and stand at the front right now. We're not going to sing at the moment. If you can't get past people, just tread on their toes. It's totally fine. So you come and come now. I'm going to count to 10. Just come. And some friends are going to come and stand with you. One. Two. Just come right forward. You may be right at the back. You may be saying, what are people going to think of me? It doesn't matter. Three. Maybe you need your mate. Hey, I can't do this on my own. Come with me. You come. Five. You come. Six. Seven. Maybe you backslid and you're just like a hundred miles away from all of this. Hey, come. Come. What am I on? Seven? Seven. 
8. The worst thing can happen is if you walk out of here thinking, I missed it. This is a safe place. This is a place where you, if God is calling you, you need to be. 9. move. There's a couple moving at the back. I'll wait. You come now. Come right forward. Thank you. Anyone else? Ten. You come now. Anyone else? Hey guys, I want you to welcome these people. So give them a round of applause. They did a big thing. What I'm going to do now is those of you that know the Lord Jesus, just be praying for these guys. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And then somebody's just going to connect with you personally. There'll be some people here that would love to do that. Um, But I want you to say this prayer out loud with me because the Bible says you believe in your heart, but you confess with your mouth. So you're believing, but now you're going to say a confession. And uh, I'm just going to give you a phrase at a time, just quietly where you are, just pray it with me. If you should be here, then just make your way now. Lord Jesus Christ, Thank you for speaking to me today. I thank you that you know me so well. And you love me so much. Thank you for dying for me. I ask you now, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. But I now surrender to your authority. Run my life from here on in. In Jesus' name.